So welcome to the show. I'm David Speed. I'm Adam Brazier. And this is Creative Rebels. Uh, it's a podcast for creative entrepreneurs. We started our first company, Graffiti Life, in a small garage. Yeah, it wasn't easy. But we built the company up to the stage where now we're regularly working with brands like Disney and Nike. And we've been lucky enough to make art all over the world. On this podcast, we interview successful creators. Their advice will enable you to take action and turn your passion into a career. There's literally been no better time in history to make a career from being creative. So many people are going to tell you that you can't do it, but we're here to tell you that you definitely can. Right, let's do a podcast. Welcome back, Rebels. Hello. I was really excited for this week's guest just because I'm like a big fan of his stuff. Yeah. And so is this mad situation that we're in now where it's like, if you find someone that you're a fan of them, like we have an excuse to actually have a conversation with them. You can just reach out and be like, hey, come and hang out with me. And they say yes. (laughs) Yeah. If I had messaged Oscar Scheller a year ago and said, I just want to have a chat with you, that would just be weird. Yeah, yeah. But now, yeah, we're in the position where we can just have cool chats with uh, interesting people. So, uh, so yeah, it was was super cool to get Oscar in to have a chat. Oscar Scheller is a musician, a singer, a songwriter, and a producer. He's carving out a creative career that is filled with collaboration. He's worked with artists like Ash Nico, Charlie XCX, Lily Allen and Mira May, to name but a few. (laughs) And Oscar has recently just launched his most recent project, HTTP404. For the tech people out there, you'll fully know what that means. And tracks on this album address issues like depression, uh, building confidence and what to do when your phone is only on 1%. In this episode, we talk about finding your identity, time, and hating social media. I try and put, like, the bare minimum. Like, and I try and always keep it about work. I try and always keep it about music. It's the necessary evil, because it does connect me with a lot of people. Hi, Oscar. Hello. Welcome to the show. Thank you. <laughs> uh, your album has pretty much just launched, hasn't it? Yeah, I think it was like last week. Yeah. We, yeah. How's it been? Is it going a bit mental? It's been really good. Yeah, people are sending me nice messages like every day, which is kind of what you want. Like, mm, yeah. Just people connecting with it and like, yeah, I've had it for pretty much three years kind of in the making. So it's kind of really nice to just get it out and... And yeah, for it to be in people's ears. You must be nervous though, having held on to it for that amount of time and been making it and then to all of a sudden just like let go of it into the world. Yeah, it was a weird feeling. At my launch, I was really nervous and like, but then it went went from being nervous to just look completely liberated. Yeah. And just almost felt very light it being out there off my chest because it's very emotional. Like I went through a lot making it. So it was just nice to to kind of release it, literally, like, release it from me. Yeah. Something that takes, like, so long to put together, do you almost find, like, the song that you wrote three years ago now isn't relevant to what you're talking about? Have you had to kind of... Do you have to curate it in a way that pushes older things out? Well, I, I, depends. Because I, I scrapped a whole album. I actually okay. had a whole other album or, like, project before that, and I kind of scrapped that, save for, like, two of the songs. And um, 
just because I felt like they weren't relevant, like mm-hmm. the songs, or I'd written them and they felt like they weren't mine, or that, you know, because I do writing for other people as mm. well. Um, yeah, I guess that there was that farming process of like, you know, is this relevant to what I'm going through? And is this going to be kind of part of the document of the journey? And um, yeah, and I think that was, yeah, that was a, that was a factor of that. And yeah. there were songs that I'd literally just finished, like maybe like a month before mixing and mastering and going, oh, I really want that on the record because it, it's like, feels right now. I suppose that's who you are right at that moment as well. Yeah. It's like, if you want to look back out in time and think like, this was a documentation of my life. Mm. Obviously that recent bit when you launched the album is such an important part of that. Completely. Yeah. Did you have like then a, a date that you were aiming for, for the release? Yeah, but it got pushed back like four or five times. Is that because you were c- continually writing new stuff? Yeah, constantly writing new stuff. Plus I was just really inspired, like working with other people all the time and, um, you know, just finding more and more like out about kind of what I could do as an artist and how I could push things and pull things. And yeah, so as time went on, I was like, wait, um, you know, I think I could do more on this one. Um, So yeah, and also because I wasn't being pressured to release, my label weren't saying, we need something like mm. now. Like it was, it was a very kind of relaxed process. How do, you know, how do you know when it's ready? Um, when I started writing songs that sounded like they were for the next phase. Mm-hmm. Which, oh, okay, that's interesting. Which yeah. already start because I think as an artist, you you're always ahead of yourself. Like, and in a, in a way, like you're your own worst enemy because you know you can't stop making things, and then you kind of think that the things that you've made are now less relevant or or inferior or like you've 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 bettered them but actually I think that's a mistake that a lot of people make you have to kind of honor the fact that you've made them and like celebrate them um but I work so quickly that you know I'll start making a whole new batch of music and I'm like well this doesn't fit with this batch Mm. so it's kind of like a a new kind of chocolate bar or you know you're it's a new product that you're making that doesn't fit with the other products. So yeah, that was kind of A lot of people struggle with that, don't they? The the kind of newness and mm. not taking time to like celebrate what you have done, just like seeing what's next. Completely. Yeah, it's difficult. So are you on like, like how much promotion are you doing? Because that obviously is like you met, you put all of, you pour everything into this record. Yeah. You then got to get people to listen to it. Like how does that, how does that look for you? Well... I mean, the music industry has changed since I released my first record. So when I when I did my first record, Cut and Paste, it was like the promo was crazy. I was also on tour in America with Block Party. I was doing all the festivals. So it was just like nonstop promo. Like it was exhausting. Uh, this time around, it's like a little bit more relaxed, I think, just because... I think uh, where I am as an artist has changed so much since my first record mm. in that like I'm not like the it's almost like the emphasis isn't just on me it's kind of on my whole sort of like way of doing things now where I'm collaborating all the time producing writing um, it's not just about me anymore so I think to promote it it's like there's a a different kind of approach now so I'm like doing specific interviews and you know I'm being covered by like certain magazines and companies I'm going to be talking a lot more about being a producer and a a writer as well so more the behind scenes kind of thing 
Um, so yeah, the promo. I mean, this is part of it, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it's like it's not as intense this time. You talked about collaboration there, and it's on your album. I think there's only one song that's like just you. Yeah. Well, I think there's two. Yeah, there's one or two. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, how important is collaboration to you in terms of like? Have you thought of that as like a, a tactic to kind of use other people's audiences to help you grow, or is it just like what you enjoy doing, kind of working with other people to create something? It was kind of a happy accident because I reached the stage where, um, with my own music, I got really frustrated. I, I, um, when I scrapped the first sort of version of the record, I was in like a really bad place. I was like super depressed, I felt very kind of, um, very kind of discombobulated and, um, and detached from myself and, and, and like the work as well. So I kind of then stepped back from all of it and was offered opportunities to just write for other people mm. started doing that and then was like oh shit I, I really like this this is like maybe this is what I should be doing and I kind of was just following like what the universe was handing me and rolling with that and then and then I kind of started doing that more seriously and collaborating you know working with a lot more people because before it was literally just me making music and mm -hmm. then it kind of then it opened up to be like loads of other people involved and and I really enjoyed that and then and then I kind of started introducing that when I felt ready to be writing for myself again I kind of started asking friends or you know people that I'd worked with in sessions that I connected with to work with me and so it was a kind of it was a bit of an accident like it wasn't it wasn't like a tactical thing it was more just oh sharing is caring and you know it's much nicer to be part of something with someone else um, yeah, that's really nice. When you were when you were in the depression stage, mm. uh, that's really interesting for me because, like, I have been thinking a lot recently about sort of when I was at my lowest, and I feel mm. like it was really was creativity that got me out of the slump. Mm. Um, but you were were you still kind of quite prolific? You're still writing a lot when you are in that depression, and that's not actually pulling you out of it. Well, I mean. It really depends. I think music is definitely a lifeline and always has been for me, like a way of voicing something and a, like a catharsis and, a, a, you know, a kind of expression. And so it's always kind of got me out of these things. But during this point, it was kind of my own creativity that was, I was, I was almost um, imprisoned by, stifled by, because uh, it was too insular. Like it was... Um, it kind of felt a bit like I was going crazy. And, you know, so then I needed other people to come and be like, oh, that's good, or that's yeah. not good. Or, you know, just kind of just get me out of the rut. And, um, yeah, and but, it, but a lot of it was kind of, it was more that I was in a place where I hated everything that I was doing. I thought I, I sounded like shit. I thought the music was shit. Like, I just was so in a kind of weird tunnel vision with it. Mm -hmm. And then it took, you know, someone had to literally take me away from my own, you know, or I took myself away from my own music and then started writing for other people and was like, wicked, this is really fun. What well, did you learn from that? Um, I learned, well, I guess I, in, in many ways I learned like the sort of, 
traditional way of writing pop music. Mm-hmm. Um, like the structuring and, you know, the power of lyrics and the, the kind of the power of songwriting, like the, the kind of art of songwriting where, you know, you have a concept and, y- you know, you just have to, it's like a brief in a way. It was, it was almost like taking all the science all the sorry all the magic away from it and just looking at the science mm-hmm. um and kind of deconstructing it and i learned a lot of like technical things like c- certain words that you use certain like the phonetics in a, in a lyric or just the phrasing can completely change how it's received by the listener um like if there's too many syllables or like <clears throat> if it's like um you know the same note over and over and over which is like what actually a lot of pop music does now um just things like that so i kind of learned a bit about yeah the the craft of of pop is that something you try and incorporate the same note over and over or do you are you rebelling against it i don't know i mean like i just well because i'm classically trained i don't know if you knew that um so i kind of already had the sort of foundations of like classical music training and um, you know, knowing the rules and kind of bits of theory and things like that, and n- never really like took it too seriously. It was just something I knew, and I guess subconsciously would sometimes adhere to. Um, but no, I don't think I'd do the same. Though. <laughs> yeah. So on that classical side of things, like, was mm. that were you doing that from growing up or? Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, from the age of about eight, nine, I was doing like classical singing I was like in choirs doing concerts all around the UK um was like in competitions um I was gonna be like an opera singer at one point and then my voice broke (laughs) (laughs) so you can imagine that was like a big problem Um, I mean it really broke (laughs) oh yeah I mean I was like mezzo soprano before and now a bass profundo which is like almost the lowest yeah. you can be so it was that was a difficult process as well because you know I felt like I'd let a lot of people down like you know my singing teacher was kind of heartbroken because this angelic boy was like <laughs> was like now this this and um so yeah I mean I was I was performing as a classical singer and and also doing um classical piano and then I sort of started getting into bands probably around 14, 15, where I was just singing. And it was, you know, like indie, you know, teenage boy shit, like Interpol, Bombay Bicycle Club, all the things that we were listening to. Um, so, yeah, and then I was in bands kind of up until about 18, 19, and then I kind of went solo. It was actually a funny story. Um, <laughs> well, so... I was in this band with like one of my best friends well two of my best friends but during the time of being in the band there was just like a lot of tension I guess we weren't really communicating properly about like our wants and our desires and there was kind of a lot of like macho stuff going on like I'm not an alpha male personally but I feel like the dynamic in the group was it was a bit like unbalanced I mean no band is going to be perfect we're talking about kids as well, like right. young boys. It's young boys who want to be, you know, successful or they want different things. Like I think a lot of the guys in the band just wanted to get laid <laughs> and and look cool. Whereas I was very much about the music. And actually, 
the the other singer basically none of us could agree who the lead singer was so they wanted it to be like the liberty and so there'd be like two lead singers so it was me and him but he had like the most crippling stage fright and would be like throwing up before the gig and almost unable to perform so there was like we'd be constantly tossing and you know it was just it was it was there was a lot of discord in general but this one show that we had was our last show um i didn't realize that on the day of the gig but they said you know um they were just like we you're they they basically were saying like we don't think that you want to be in this band like you've got all your own ideas and like you know and i'd written this song um the night before called wednesday i still remember it and it was kind of like a jarvis cocker type ditty on like a yamaha keyboard with just a drum machine and like you know the automated chords it was a simple song but i thought there was something really good about it but I didn't have time to teach the band. And um, in the practice, I said, oh, guys, I've written this song. Like, can I try and teach it to you? And they were like, no, we don't have time. And they were just being, they were being assholes, basically. Um, and they were like, yeah, we, we don't want to learn your song either. And I was like, okay. And then I sort of went home that day after the practice and, and told my mum, and she was like, you have to play that song. Like, it's such a good song. And... Um, I said, okay. And she was like, I'm going to kick you out of home if you don't, if you don't play. <laughs> Amazing. So I was like, okay, so I'll be kicked out of the band if I do play it. I'll be kicked out of home. I don't know. I was like, I better play the song. So then, lo and behold, the, the day of the gig comes and I think it was at Proud Galleries in Camden and we had like a bit of hype. So there was some, some industry said they were, you know, A&Rs or whatever, said they were coming. And, um, and I, so I decided to go on early, like five minutes before and everyone had set up and I just played the song. Um, and it went down so well, you know, people loved it. And luckily, um, my manager, my then or future manager was in the audience and he only stayed for that song. He left after that. So there was definitely some kind of like serendipity there. I don't know what that was. And then of course I got kicked out of the band that night. So I like, you fucking asshole. Like we knew that you, you know, and then that was the end of the band, but it was the start of my solo career. Thanks, mum. Yeah, thanks, mum. <laughs> yeah, to be fair. Did you like sneak on stage or like how did that work? Well, because I so I had the keyboard already set up because it was part of the you know right. part of the instruments, and then I just snuck on. I, I think they were all smoking. I'll be right back, guys. And I was like, I'll be right back, and I just got on stage and just that's like, insane. Did my thing, yeah. It's so funny though, isn't it? Because we we talk about it all the time of like it doesn't matter if you're getting like a million views or like 200 views because that it's it's that one view from the one person mm-hmm. that matters that can change your your life and your career 100 percent. and like that dude just happened to be in in the audience yeah i mean and he told me after he was like i thought it was genius like how you couldn't sing into a microphone he, <laughs> he was basically like everything about you was charming and like and like you had this you just had something none of the back like he wasn't interested. He he brought an A and R with him, and the A and R was like, "Man, the drum is amazing! Like, look at that guy, whatever." And and then my manager was like, "I didn't care about the rest of the band. I think they stayed for like one song after mine, and then they left." So it was kind of like, yeah. And then I got a call like the next day or so from from him saying, "Come to the studio. I'd love to listen to more of your music and kind of teach you some things." And then he basically was my mentor and you know, put me in with engineers and taught me how to put my recordings in time and 
and and and put things in tune like so he was yeah he was kind of, it was the start yeah um so you went to uni but you didn't study music at uni right no that's right i i went to art school for four years how was that for you um love hate yeah yeah love hate i mean because i i also went to the the my secondary school was very arts based um so we would do oil painting charcoal life drawing we had life drawing three times a week um so it was kind of like going to a private school and them saying you're going to go to Oxbridge. You know, it was like, they'd say, oh, so you're going to go to art school. It was almost like an yeah. expected thing. Yeah. I did want to go to art school because I loved painting. I loved drawing. Um, and I was always very visual. So I ended up doing that over music because I kind of didn't want, I didn't want to fuck music up for myself because I felt like if I studied it, I would, it would take away from the magic. You know, I'd know too much. And I've always loved not knowing because you kind of find things that way. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I decided to do four years. I, did, I studied fine art at St. Martin's. And, um, you know, I was able to incorporate the music in there towards the end. And I did my dissertation on sampling. Um, so, but it was, yeah, I often wonder, like, if I just didn't go to uni and I kind of started earlier, like, what would have happened? But I'm I'm kind of happy that I did, you know, yeah, I always think that everything you do leads you to where you're at. So mm. if had you not gone, your music would sound completely different. And who knows, you, yeah. you might not have taken off at all. So Totally. I mean, I had this very romantic idea in my head that like I'd go to St. Martin's and like form a band. You know, I really thought that it was the 80s or something. Mm. And, you know, I'd find all these musicians and we'd form the clash or whatever it was. You know, I'm romantic as a person, like in my ideas. And so, and I got there and everyone wanted to be an artist. I was like, oh, this is a fucking so you joke. Go to art <laughs> I was like, what do you mean you want to be artists? Like, <laughs> what about the music? But um, no, I did. I met some really nice people. I made some great friends. And um, yeah, I was, it was very inspiring to be there. So time frame wise, what was first, uh, you going on stage or university? It was, so while I was at university, I was kind of, writing the first album. Well, I didn't know that at the time, but I was just making demos um, and kind of collecting songs. So I wasn't going on stage at that point. Um, I was kind of trying to find a band or like a, a group of people that could play with me mm-hmm. because in my second year, whilst I was being managed by the manager who came to the gig, uh, he said, you have to finish your degree. You know, you, you can't um, can't do it until sort of afterwards we sort of put a song out. Um, Which is quite unlike a manager. They well, would be like, quit uni, come yeah. and live the yeah. rock star life. Like, come and make me loads of money. Well, this guy's unorthodox on every level, you know, like he, he's a, he's a maverick and he's kind of a bit of a genius. Um, but... What's his name? Let's shout him out. Cameron McVeigh. Shout, shout out Cameron. Cameron. Yeah, he really, he really saw something in me and like, <clears throat> and like helped me develop. Yeah, he was like, he didn't go to university. So I think that's partly like, you know, he was kind of vicariously living through me in a way. Um, and was like a father figure to me and was like, you know, you have to finish your studies and then blah, blah. My mum was like, you know, just do whatever, whatever's going to help. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so I 
so in the second year of St. Martin's, I put out a song called Never Told You. And I was going to a yoga class because Cameron really wanted me to do Bikram yoga because he said it would help me with my range vocally and also help me stop being so stressed and anxious. So I said, okay, I'll, I'll give it a go. Um, and so the song was going out that day, went into yoga, did an hour of yoga, like almost passed out and threw up. And it was like <laughs> something I'm never going to do again. It didn't but, help with your stress though. It didn't help with my stress. It was horrible. But I, I came out to like a Pitchfork article about this song that I'd like made in my bedroom by myself. And it was saying like, you know, best new music, kid in Northwest London. I was like, shit, Pitchfork, that's pretty cool. And then it kind of all snowballed from there. And then I had all this, you know, tons of labels and people sort of getting in touch saying, we love what we've heard, all, all that stuff. But that was kind of when, this was 2014, 2013. This was when like blogs were really, really popping off. And, mm. you know, there was still a, very much like a, a blog culture. Um, so yeah, it went round really quickly. And then... and then I don't feel like that exists anymore, really, does it? It's kind of moved to social media, I think, hasn't it? It's Spotify still... and stuff. Yeah. Because yeah. I used to go around blogs and like download little MP3s and make yeah. mixtapes from from what what was being blogged about but I don't do that anymore yeah. I just I guess I just go to a playlist on Spotify yeah YouTube I find a lot of stuff yeah, yeah I don't think it does exist um you've got like the main ones you know like Fader Pitchfork mm. Enemy DIY. they've sort of become something else now they're yeah. almost like media agencies within themselves yeah. aren't they? totally so that so back then it was very much like things you'd get heard about very quickly and then after that I was like, I better find a band if I'm going to do this music thing. Um, and it took me ages to find a band that I liked. Um, and then I finished art school and then I kind of then started playing loads of shows. So yeah, the, being on stage became after university. What's the process of finding a band look like? Is it, because in my mind, it's almost like you're sat on a desk and then you get like an audition come through, like the X Factor. Like, <laughs> no. And yeah, how do you find one? I put up posters. No way. Yeah, I put up posters at some artists. I thought you were going to say like social media or whatever, but what's posters. So, I put up posters, but you know what's so funny is that they got taken down because, um, and this was like one of my many kind of um, grievances with art school. They said, oh, it's a health and safety hazard. You haven't, you haven't um, filled out this form. I just thought you fucking that fire retardant. I was just like, what do you mean I haven't filled out a form to put what? Who's going to, is someone going to hurt themselves on a poster on a, on a wall? Like <laughs> They they call the number that was on the thing like, and you're like, yes, new band member. And they're like, these places like, are going to come. So I did posters and I also put out, you know, thing on Gumtree and then, you know, all that stuff. I did all the kind of regular things and I asked around and, you know, it ended up like lots of friends just kind of playing. Yeah. In the in the group, and um, so did you have like a well? I want these different type of musicians to be part of it, or did it kind of organically build? Yeah, it kind of organically. Well, it was started with John, who was in the old, who was in the band that I split up from. Yeah, he was bass player, and then but for a long time it was just me and a loop station. So it's just I had a guitar, yeah, and I had this loop station that I put all my crazy beats on, and that was it. Like that was the show. And then it was, I brought in a bass player and then I brought in like a guitarist and then it kind of, then 
then I had that for a while, for about a year of doing sh solid shows, just like promoting myself. And, um, oh, actually, yeah, so Cameron and I parted ways halfway through the year that I left art school um, because there were, there were just a lot of reasons. But, um, so then I was managing myself, promoting myself and just getting myself shows just by asking around. And, um, and then I had, you know, more label interests eventually. And then one label told me to get a drummer. Okay. So I got a drummer. And then it was like... Um, yeah, then it'd become like a band kind of thing, which was confusing because, you know, I was a solo artist. It was a solo artist project. Yeah. But then it kind of started to almost take the form of something else, which was confused me, confused other people. Mm. And I kind of didn't really know how to tackle it because I was being told by the industry that, you know, I should get a drummer and, you know, I should have a full band and stuff. Because obviously I was writing guitar music I mean, I was using guitars. I don't necessarily like to classify music in general, but, you know, I was a skinny white boy with a guitar, so therefore I was indie. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, I had a band of boys behind me, so therefore I was an indie band. So, and I really struggled with that for a long time because I actually did not grow up listening to indie music whatsoever. I grew up listening to classical music, hip-hop, R&B, garage drum and bass, uh, indie was the last thing that I listened to. I didn't listen to punk music. I, w I, would, I went to parties, people would be singing along to The Smiths and I wouldn't know what it was. Yeah. I was listening to Missy Elliott, I was listening to Nas. I wasn't indie. So then when people started saying, you know, indie, I was like, but this is just not who I am. Like, it's so confusing to me. Yeah. So I had that for a really long time. Um, and I think it's it's, you know difficult being branded so early on because then of course you are that kind of artist and I think artists nowadays are really lucky because they don't they have a privilege of not having to be anything and it kind of is in tangent with you know how open they are with their sexuality with their gender identity with their political views with I think generation z or z or whatever you want to call them they they have so much more freedom to not be uh, classified or not be kind of boxed in but for me it was like I was indie and that was yeah. it um so yeah the band thing that yeah the, then I started like just thinking I don't want a band you know um I don't know where I'm going with this but yeah <laughs> I mean now you're you're definitely like it feels like you're in your in your lane now and you're because like the songs are different but then there's still an essence of you in every song, yeah. And, but and I guess because they're because they're most of them are like collaborations. Then mm. then you're bringing in pieces of other people, but then right. you're you do so much as well because you don't you're not just you're not just singing. You're like you're writing. You're writing for other people. You're producing. You're yeah. making beats. Like so, there's a whole world around you. I guess definitely. And I think like that was sort of what I felt was missing before. You know, I felt like. In many ways, I struggled with being an artist because so many people imposed their views on what that was to them, for me, and I kind of didn't ever feel that comfortable with the kind of artist that I was being told I was. So there was like a lot of, I mean, it's complicated, but I kind of felt like maybe I shouldn't be an artist, maybe I should be, I never felt like just one thing. I always felt like, like a renaissance and that I could do 
lots of different things and I enjoyed doing lots of different mm. things and I didn't want to be limited to just being an indie boy like Do you think singer. that's where a lot of the kind of stress and anxiety because it obviously was around that period that that was happening do you think it comes down to like identity and and you knowing what you what how you how you felt and but a lot of people piling on top of you like this is who you are yeah 100 percent. like I think um you know I, I need I needed to kind of take a back seat and almost give myself more time because there was a lot I think and a lot of being an artist is about the time because it's like the time you're in the time that you give yourself um you know and the time that you give others and I think I'd given so much of myself away and I kind of needed to just think about what I needed and what I wanted and so it was the first time that I really was able to self-reflect by giving myself like almost a year of not being an artist and just kind of you know taking a backseat and then figuring out like I love singing and I love performing and this is what I do and um you know I just need to do it the way that I want and not be told to get a drummer ever again <laughs> you know like so it kind of it was like the making of me in a way like um and I sort of had a rebirth during that year so yeah it's it's great that's awesome so since um, listening to the album I've literally had it on repeat so oh, um, l- honestly like, I love that yeah, yeah. Yeah. no way yeah I think it's I think it's great so um, first track being one up yes. um, what is that tune about so that tune I get well it's kind of a lot of what we've been talking about like <clears throat> sort of reinvention of the self like being given another chance because I, I kind of went through a phase I was like life is a video game and I just have to get through the levels. When I was like in, you know, <clears throat> struggling with the, like the, the depression and the kind of self, self-loathing, self I was like, I just have to get through the day, like as if it's a level, like I just have to get through the video game. And so it kind of started to make me think like, I want to write a song about how I'm feeling you know, one up, like I need another life. Cause if yeah. I die in this one, like I just, I want to get given like another chance to, to, you know, do what I want and the way I want to do it. So it was very simple concept. And, um, yeah, I was, I was on a writing trip in LA. It, this was before I was doing sessions for other people. This was when I was starting to write the next record. Um, and I met with this guy, Anthony Rosamondo, who is now, incredibly successful because he wrote Shallow um, one of the biggest songs of last year Uh, and uh, but at the time you know he was just someone I was introduced to oh you might get on with this guy he was in um, The Libertines or he was in Dirty Pretty Things so he was best Mm. friends with Carl Um, and he was a bit of like you know a rock and roll guy but also had a massive pop sensibility so we got on so well we had a crazy session that went on till like six in the morning. Um, and yeah, we wrote one up that day. And, and I just thought, oh, this, there's something about this. Like, this feels like the new, like the new expression. Um, so yeah. And then I, I've, I've, I've actually known Kerry Kerry Benito for years. I did my first ever Oscar show with them. Um, so my first solo show was in, was it New Cross Inn? It was a terrible show, but <laughs> but I met I met those guys and we became really good friends after that and have always kept in touch and um, I thought Sarah would be perfect for you know 
to have a little rap yeah. on there because I thought it, it definitely needs a rapper. Actually, originally, I asked Kevin Abstract, and this was before um, this was before Brockhampton blew up because one of the guys at Wichita knew them really well because he lives in LA. Which tells your label. Which tells my label, yeah. And Mark Bowen um, knew uh, Kevin and like all those guys really well and was like, oh, you should link up with those guys while you're in LA. So I linked up with Romil, the producer, and then I was we were talking about Kevin being on that track, but then it just became impossible to get him, yeah, get, get a hold of him, like at the very least. And, and then I thought actually it would be cooler to have a girl on this track. And actually I wanted the album to be full of girls and not boys. Yeah, why is um, that? I think I've always like preferred the female voice. Same, actually. Um, Which is, yeah, yeah it's, it's mad that I actually like your stuff because there's so few male artists that I listen to. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? I think I've just always preferred it. I guess listening to R&B, it's mostly female singers. I work with mostly female artists. Um, I have a real affinity to like women and I grew up with, mostly women around me so I think I have like I just get on with women and so I kind of and also you know I wanted it to be um a kind of yeah like a healing record and I felt like women have that healing I find it easier power. to collaborate with women because yeah. I think sometimes the male ego just gets in the way and there's well, clashes there's definitely that too and you know being in coming from like being in bands full of guys and it was a nightmare um because of the ego problems and they were never mine <laughs> it was always other people's um so i just felt sure, like sure oscar sure <laughs> <laughs> no i mean <clears throat> i mean really though like yeah. even as a lead singer i was just i would just let everyone do what they wanted i was like the least like yeah. Dom- dominating person in the room to my to my uh i don't know to, i think it was to, to my own um detriment yeah i think so so yeah i mean and there are mostly women on the record there's yeah there's one guy yeah two guys that's the other thing you know like i've made so many friends mm, yeah so many friends since since um you know starting to write and produce for other people like kind of like almost every session I'll make a friend you found but, your people definitely and I guess because you're putting out your authentic start I was about to go really cheesy there you're putting out your authentic self into, <laughs> into the universe <laughs> but it's true though man do you know what I mean yeah. you're making art that reflects you which yeah. which attracts around you the people that are like you that's it I mean and I think I also it was it was a it was a confidence thing because you know I would then play people some music and you know once I kind of started really getting back into writing, I'd play my new friends the music and they'd all be like, "This is wicked!" Like, "Oh my god, what?" Like, you need to put this out. And then, like you know, hearing that from someone else was almost like just a nice affirmation mm. to be like, you know, these are really beautiful, talented artists, and they're excited by what I'm doing and so that must mean something you know so then it kind of yeah it was really it was nice we were kind of it was like a yeah it was like a symbiotic thing that's dope yeah so with um with one up like I like that um it's almost like it reminds me of that line in that um outcast song hey uh, where where he's like um you don't want to hear me you just want to dance do you know what I mean because it's so poppy and like and ridiculous and video yeah. gamey and, yeah. and blippy and like <laughs> yeah. 
all of those things. But then like what you're talking about is actually really serious. Right. Like, I mean, I've always, I've always loved that in music, like Velvet Underground, one of my favourite bands, because, you know, they, they write a lullaby. It sounds like a lullaby is about withdrawing from heroin, mm. you know, and like I love that kind of, that contrast you get where it's like really sweet musically and then it's like very dark thematically or lyrically. I've always loved having that contrast in music. I think it's very much necessary for me. Um, so yeah, writing a sweet sounding pop song, but talking, it's, there's all, you know, there's an element of one up that's about um, almost like not suicide, but it's like, it's like a kind of, you have to kill yourself in your head in a way and then start again. Yeah. Reinvention. Kind of, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it is, I mean, they talk about that in like in Buddhism where you have to kind of kill your ego. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and your parents in your head yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah in order to kind of start start again or kind of just detach um, from things that aren't important yeah funny like I, I don't want to just go through the whole album song by song <laughs> no but, do it I'm but gonna. like I kind of do also let's do um, it so um, Interstellar Disco um, that's my girlfriend's favourite song um, that is an absolute bop um, what, what's that one about then well, oh my God, the day I wrote that song was crazy. Um, I So I'd met Lucy, pause, the featured artist. I met her on a Mabel writing camp. Um, so as in you're writing songs for Mabel? For Mabel. And that was in LA? That was in London. That was, okay. in, that was in Westbourne Park. This, this writing camp thing fascinates me. So you... <laughs> They just a bunch of writers turn up and just start throwing out ideas. Writers and producers, yeah, you'll get into a room and then sometimes the artist will be there, sometimes they won't. This time Mabel was there. And actually, it's a long story, but I've known Mabel since school. We went to school together. Cameron's actually her dad. So so, um, he was like a family friend who came to the show and then started managing me. She's blowing up at the moment, isn't she? She's doing really well. She's a proper pop star. Um, So we we were at Mabel writing camp and I'd actually been invited by Mabel's brother, Marlon, who's Cameron's son. Um, yeah. So anyway, he was like, do you want to come and write some stuff for Mabel? And I was like, yeah, that's great. But I, 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 that, this was the point where I'd scrapped my album and I was super like depressed and then literally was offered this like beacon of light. Mm. So I was really grateful for Marlon. And I went and it, I was only supposed to do one day and I stayed the whole week because it went so well. Um, but I met Lucy on the first day of the camp, got on with her like a house on fire. We had all the same sensibilities. All, we loved all the same 80s, like, back catalogue. And, um, yeah, we just, you know, she's the sweetest person you'll ever meet. Um, and such an amazing writer. She wrote Dua Lipa's Be The One completely by herself. That was her song. And then Dua Lipa covered it, basically, took it on. Um, so, yeah, we met and I just said, I really want to, write some stuff with you at some point for your project and for my project and uh and she was totally game so we had a session booked in um there was so much going on in my life at this point my mum was like really unwell she was very depressed wasn't sleeping um then was diagnosed with like borderline personality disorder and I was living with her at the time and um she had been taken into hospital that morning and I went to my session this is this is kind of shows you the kind of person i am my mom was in hospital i didn't know what was happening with her but i just thought 
okay, I'm just going to go to the studio and like wait for the phone call or, or whatever. So I went to the studio and I just told Lucy what was going on and we had a little cry and then we wrote Interstellar Disco and it was like, it literally just poured out. I think I had, I had like the chords already and then we just wrote that song together. So it was like a really special song. That song, that song is just about escaping and like it's a complete fantasy world of let's go to this disco in, in like on the moon or whatever, wherever yeah. you are, just so you can dance and be okay with, you know, what's going on and, and have a friend there with you. Yeah. Um, you say how it like poured out of you. Is that, I'm guessing it only gets to the stage now where a song can just pour out of you and that comes from years of writing I'm guessing when you were like 14 a song wouldn't just pour out of you it would be a lot more of a process of kind of getting used to writing a song yeah I think you get you kind of can get into a zone and you sort of you have your way of approaching a song um for me it's always melody first like after the chord, after you hear the chords, it's your response to the chords, the emotion that you get, or the color of the chords, or whatever it is. And so, um, yeah, I just, I guess, we both responded to the chords uh, in a similar way. So, with a writing camp, because um, it comes down to that thing of like being <clears throat> being creative on command, kind of thing. Yeah. Um, is there is there sort of pressure to like I've got to write a hit in, oh, yeah. in this camp? How, like how do, how and but it's that is definitely something that's possible because I like we we talk we've spoken before about how like um what's the what's the phrase um a professional a professional creates on command and a and an amateur like creates in their own time kind of thing right yes yeah, it's, it's it's interesting because I guess people kind of all have their own habits and their own mm. you know um, processes but. There is a huge amount of pressure, especially in a writing camp, um, to deliver something that, you know, is going to be commercially successful. And you just don't know when it's going to happen. I mean, I think there are hits that just have that magic, like Britney Spears' Toxic. Like, I can't imagine how that song came about. Um, You know, songs that sort of transcend, like, trend and, and, and sort of they become historic. Um, you know, the, there are those kind of hits that are very special, and you kind of you don't shake by Khalees, right? And you yeah. don't think like six people have got into a room and they're like, right, milkshake, yeah, yeah. What are we going to talk about? You know, um, it's kind of. I think a lot of those records were made in in sort of un you know experimental or like unpredictable ways. So like to get into a room and just be like, right, we're going to make a hit, you know. There is there is a kind of strange it's yeah it can be uncomfortable but it can also work depending on the chemistry in the room it's yeah. really about you know the connection that you all have with each other and luckily at the Mabel camp we all had really good relationships and um, you know I don't think we wrote anything that made the album but we definitely had a really good time um, and it was really important for me so yeah and sometimes I get. Who did we pitch it to? Uh, do a leap. Yes, you'll you'll come up with stuff that you'll then use later, and you'll kind of work like workshop through them. Yeah, we wrote a song that we were then started pitching to. Um, who did we pitch it to? Uh, do a leap. I think there was a do a leap one. And yeah, you can pitch if if the artist passes on it, then you can pitch it on to whoever. 
How does that work in terms of pitching a song? Because I think like, obviously you're in the world that probably seems like a really normal thing, but to yeah. me it just sounds like this is crazy. It is crazy. I mean, essentially you write a song for somebody with them in mind. Okay. Um, so you think about like what they represent as an artist and then you kind of try and write. It's, it's actually fun. It's almost like writing a book because, you know, you have to write for a character, you know, mm. you have to be in character and sort of think about someone's life and someone's story and and you just, yeah, you just get creative with it. How do you get into that zone of the character? Like, how do, I, me- become, method acting. how do I become Dua Lipa? <laughs> yeah. uh, I've just got to become really sexy, like. <laughs> <laughs> do you just listen to a lot of their, lot of their tunes? And- yeah, you know, it, it is like a melodic thing where there are certain melodies that they'll use, certain tones of phrases, certain, like, well, with some artists, like, it's certain beats that they like. Um, a lot of it is just about the melody and the lyrics that really, like, make it an artist song yeah and it is fun I think it, I, I really enjoy um, emulating characters and, and, and personalities like in music I think a lot of creativity comes from putting restraints on stuff and in that situation you're obviously thinking like well I can't just do whatever I want here it has to fit this tone it has to sound like this yeah and then it's like well, how can I fit my own thing into all of that mm. you certainly it hear is. it on the Lily Allen track on as soon as that kicks in, you're like, "This is a Lily Allen song." <laughs> so that okay, so that that's a funny one because I yeah. So I was in Sweden. I was doing um, a week of writing for other people, for mostly Swedish artists, um, in Stockholm. And one of the artists got sick that day, and so they cancelled. I think it was in October or September or something. And um, so then I had a day with the producer, and I thought, "Oh, I wonder." I wonder what's going to happen. And I went in and met this guy, Carl Erkenborn, and um, uh, he was really cool and sort of similar age to me. And um, because you don't know what you're going to get. Like you just get told a studio and you just turn up and like you don't know if this person is going to be ancient or nice or whatever. So I got there and then we immediately got on and I thought this guy's cool. And then he was like, so what do you want to do today? And I was like well, I kind of, I'd like to write something for me if that's cool. So then I'd sort of had this idea the night before because I got really lost in the Swedish suburbs. My phone died. I didn't know how to get back to where I was staying. So I had to walk then back to the subway station and charge my phone at the reception of the of the of this place, Sturby, which is like literally, the, like it's like Edgware of Stockholm. Like it's like out in the sticks. Um, so t- any of our listeners that are not millennials will be like you kids <laughs> like we used to do that shit all the time <laughs> yeah I was like no but this was dark it was already really dark yeah. so because it got so dark in, um, at that time of year and I and all the roads looked the same and I asked I even asked like a woman I was like I sort of vaguely remember the name of the road but not really because I hadn't been staying there that long and so, yeah, I was just like, I'm actually fucked. I don't yeah. know how to get back. I don't know where I'm going to sleep. Like, this is a big problem. So then, so anyway, I got back to the house, had dinner eventually. Um, and then I just thought about, like, how many times I've been fucked over by my phone dying. My phone dies on a, on a daily basis. It gets to 1% on a daily basis. So I was like, oh, let's just talk about, you know, that. So then I went into the studio the next day and I kind of just wrote the song that I had in my head the night before 
which actually happens quite a lot. And um, and then I thought, this sounds like a Lily Allen song. You know, I really thought that. And I and, and I was actually working with Lily at the time. I think I'd done... I was going to say, because you don't just call up Lily Allen and go... Yeah. Well, no, I don't know her like that. Yeah. I mean, I sort of... I do now. Yeah. But, like, at the time, I was just working with her, like, on her record. And I thought, I should probably play this to her and like you know my manager was like definitely play that to her and I just thought oh it's like I don't, I don't know if I like she's not gonna have, she's not gonna do it like she's got everyone asking her to be on a track it's Lily Allen um and then you know I got back to London after that and I kind of had a few sessions with her and it re- and I really had to build up the courage to be like Lily um I've got a song that like you might like and then I played it to her and she really liked it I bet, I bet you like Billy up loads and she was just super cool like yeah okay I'll just yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I literally I played it to her and she was like she's like yeah I like this and I was like your heart's like boom 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 I was like boom, boom. fuck <laughs> yeah but that was that was um, yeah so that was another really cool thing you know just so how like, did how did you meet her in the first place well I so I actually the first time I met her she probably doesn't remember this I was 16 it was her birthday she had a party at Rich Mix across the road no way yeah um and I had been invited because I was family friends with like Makita, who she lived with. And, oh, yeah. Um, so we kind of knew each other's circles, but she would never remember meeting me at 16. And then I think I met her properly about three years ago at a Christmas family Christmas party. And she was drunk and I came up to her and I just said, I think we should work on something. And, you know, she was like, yeah, yeah, it sounds great. Like, get Theo to put it in the diary. And I just thought, this is never going to happen. You know, yeah, she's yeah. pissed. She's not going to remember me. And then I think about five months later, I got a phone call and Theo was just like, do you want to do some days with Lily? And I was wow. like, yeah, definitely. And that's how it came about. And then, yeah. That's insane. Yeah. I can hell. Do you reckon off the back of that, you've now got more confidence to approach other people? Oh, hands down. I, I I went up to Mira May, who I'm a huge fan of. Absolutely. I've loved her stuff. Like, even since her first EP, I think it's N, N15. Um, and I'd been listening to that track, Benji, for a long time. And then she just completely fell off the radar. So I thought maybe she doesn't make music mm. anymore. And then my manager was putting on a night at Layla, which is like a club in West London. Um, and she was performing. And I was like, oh, I'm definitely going to get down to see her. And uh, and I went up to her, like, before she performed, and I just said, we should work. I love your stuff. Um, you know, I think we could do something cool. She was like, absolutely, just, like, talk to my manager kind of thing. And then we set up a date, and then we wrote Sad, which is, like, came out on her EP. And then ever since then, we've just been, like, creatively so bonded. Um, so, yeah, but that, but I think, you know, I've I've started being a bit more bold mm. just being like let's do something and I do it on Instagram if I like an artist I'll just hit them up and be like we should work because you know nine times out of ten they'll be like yeah sounds good yeah yeah it's dope man and we were we were talking off mic earlier about how um, like you've kind of got your like little click there's selective mm. artists that you're working with like quite often now and yeah. how everyone's everyone's pushing each other and you're like we're all we're all coming up together which I just love. Like yeah. no one's, no one's holding anyone down. No one's like, oh, I need this opportunity. Everyone's like just sharing together, which is super cool. It's amazing, and like you know, stuff like Ash Nico, where the fact that now she's kind of starting to blow up, and um, you know, 
like because I produced that track, like now my name's being talked about. So we're kind of like it's 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 nice that something's able to happen. We were talking about earlier that you know you can come up with someone and yeah, you you're all kind of rising. I went for a meeting with with Parlophone, her label. And, you know, the A&R played me loads of stuff that they were like, we, you know, what about this, what about this? I said no to all of it apart from Ash. And they were like, oh, well, Ash is really choosy about who she works with, so, like, it might not happen. And I was thinking, fuck, like, the one person that I want to work with yeah. and she's, like, not going to work with me. And then, you know, then she wanted to work with me. But it was actually funny. The first session we had, there was a fuck-up where... I wasn't at home and I was I was supposed to you know I think the one of our managers got the date wrong so she turned up she lived she lived in Tottenham at the time she turned up to West London from Tottenham and I wasn't even in and she, I think she texted me hey buddy it's Ash like I'm almost I'm like 10 minutes away and I was like at someone's house or something I was like fuck you know and then you know um I said I'm really sorry I think there's been a mix up and then she was really angry like not at me well probably at me but was like who the fuck does this Oscar guy think he is like da 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 and then I just thought oh no I'm never going to work with her again and then I think my manager called up her manager and was like I'm really sorry like please can you give us a second chance and then she did thankfully and then then yeah we just hit it off straight away and now we're like really good friends amazing so because um, so confidence is my favourite song on the on the record, oh, yeah. and I thought I love that tune, and Me too. Um, and it's it's really cool actually seeing that little video you put out on Insta. Oh yeah, of of her kind of working the working the hook out. Yeah, and yeah, then, and then. Here, then when I heard the song, I already recognised the song. Yeah. So I think that's why I loved it because it was kind of already in oh, my head. Cool. Okay. Yeah. But, yeah. That's good to know. Yeah. Yeah, what, yeah. What's your strategy for social media? Because I know that a lot of musicians have a problem where, obviously, you release say a set of songs and an album, but it's taken you three years to produce. Yeah. What do you put up in the meantime? Like, how do you keep people engaged? Oh God, I mean, it's like, <laughs> oh, uh, I mean, I honestly have never had an easy time with social media. Like Cameron, my first manager, he was like, Oscar. This was before like it was really popping yeah. off. He was like, you've got to get with it. Like, you have to do this. And I was just like, I fucking hate it. I don't, like, you know, I just don't want to have to, like, subscribe to this. Like, you know, is this, why is this... This has nothing to do with music. This has nothing to do with music. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I was right. And and I'm still right. It doesn't have anything to do with music. It's branding. It's, yeah. it's visual culture. It's, you know, it's not for musicians. It's for influencers. Um, and so... Yeah, I'm a bad person to ask, but I think, you know, I just try and be, I try and put like the bare minimum, like, and I try and always keep it about work. I try and always keep it about music yeah. because otherwise I don't want people to get confused like about what it is. Cause you go on some people's Instagrams and you're like, are they a model or are they a singer or are mm. they both? Like, it's like, yeah. so, but I think, um, yeah, I think, I think uh, I don't know. It's the necessary evil because it does connect me with a lot of people. And, and for instance, you guys reached out to me. Mm -hmm. So that was great. And I've definitely connected with lots of artists and I've collaborated th with lots of artists through social media. Um, so I'm grateful for it, but it's just, it's a pain in the ass. Why did becoming a producer come into it? Because I think like a lot of 
musicians when they're getting started they don't know how to produce anything so they're relying on other people all the time was right. that kind of where it started where you were like I, I don't want to have to wait for this to get edited by someone else well because I mean it was with the process of writing so I lived in a flat and I couldn't have a drum kit because it was too noisy so I you know just downloaded like a drum pack sample or something so it was kind of the limitations then formed the way that I'd make music. So I'd have like a, you know, like a, I'd take like an old, like Motown drum break or James Brown drum loop. And then I'd put some little bits of keyboard on and then I'd, you know, like sing softly into a microphone. And then that kind of started to become the sound in a way, like by accident. And then, you know, I was, I was producing by, by default yeah. just because it was me making the stuff. And I kind of only, I never really called myself a producer up until maybe about a year or a year ago, but I'd always been producing like my own stuff, other people's stuff. Even I'd have like friends who wanted to start singing and I would just, you know, make tracks with them. Um, so I kind of was always doing it, but I just never really uh, put, a label on put a label on it. Yeah. I mean, you know, and I'm still working with some of those people now actually who I, was collaborating with early on but yeah I think it was like I didn't have the confidence to say I was a producer because the way that I the way that I approached music for me was so much about the song and the writing and the production was kind of it was almost like um it, it, it happened at the same time as the writing so it was kind of part of the writing in a way but yeah I mean it definitely was producing how are you with your self-talk now? Because um, obviously, like, listening to certain lyrics um, on the record is like, a lot of it is around, like, you speaking negatively to yourself kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think, like, for me, I just wanted to sort of make the most honest, uh, raw, authentic record that I could make just by holding back nothing. Mm. and I think I did it and I'm like really happy I did it because you know when I made the first record I was a kid and some of those songs I'd written when I was 15 yeah you're a completely different person and you know you have completely different ideas about the world and you're sort of like you have no idea about the world and so it was kind of like I just wanted to address that and you know I'm in therapy like once a week which is great. And um, I think I've always been quite a self-aware person, but now I'm kind of using it proactively and not negatively. Um, so, I, yeah, but it is, you know, it's like, I'm a sensitive guy, you know, you know, I feel a lot of the world's problems on a daily basis. Um, so that's, it's never easy being, being a creative and, and being sensitive and feeling everything. But, you know, you wouldn't have the other all the good parts without the bad parts. So it's kind of like it's part of the the job, I guess. Are you yeah. getting are you getting better at being nicer to yourself? Oh yeah. Oh I'm I'm getting to be a professional. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like I mean just it, it's more for me it was more about like saying yes to myself and like learning to say no because I think I had a really big problem with um you know, boundaries and like respecting myself. And mm. I would often do things to please other people. Or like I just didn't want confrontation or I didn't want like any kind of 
like negativity so I'd just do things but then realize that it wasn't good for me or I was stretching myself too thin because that happened a lot and so I've kind of started to be like you know what I'm gonna say no to that and I'm gonna say yes to myself and um yeah definitely getting better it's a process and I think it's you know it's it's a life's work you know it it's not something that you can just switch on and you have to work on it every day ash nico i mean she says the same thing like she literally has um a letter to herself that she reads to herself like every night so and it's like positive manifestation and um yeah that shit works yeah yeah, yeah it, does. it does more and more guests that we're having on are talking about therapy um because it's something for me that i always kind of associated with americans you know like oh, i'm in therapy uh, yeah. um but yeah it does seem like it is kind of starting to come over here and like it so far it's like 100 percent success rate of every single guest we've had that is in therapy says it is so good for me and it's such a good thing yeah i really i really think everybody needs it like however problematic your life is or you know even if you have or have had like a simple life and you know, no one's died, no one's, like, got divorced, no one's, like, abused you or anything like that. Like, I, I still think that people need therapy because life is hard, you know, and you need those tools to be able to kind of process it and unpack things. Everyone has trauma, like, however great or small. Um, I mean, being born is a trauma. So I really think that it would do us a lot of good if we all had therapy. I mean, you just see being on like the train and rush hour you just see how kind of discontent and like uncomfortable everyone is and 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 stressed out and you know therapy is um is just a way of kind of going through those things and looking at your attachments or your anxieties and um connecting with yourself on a deeper level and i think that you know everyone should have that privilege um and i'm lucky because you know, I had to have therapy. I've had therapy for a really long time. So when my dad died, when I was eight, I I was made to go to like grievance or grieve. I don't know what like grievance counseling. Grievance counseling. Yeah. So like from the age of nine or ten, I was in therapy, and then kind of had it from then on, like on and off. So I kind of always been into therapy. I mean, at school, I was the only person like in therapy, but. um I think that the, there's no longer so much of a kind of sort of stigma around mm -hmm. it. I mean, it's good that people talk about mental health the way they do now. Um, because, yeah, it's given me a lot. Yeah, just yeah. talking through stuff, I suppose, is is the... Because I guess you're working things out yourself. It's not like the the therapist is giving you the answers, but... I suppose mm -hmm. it's like going to the gym and having a personal trainer. It's like, if you don't know how to do it yourself, right. get someone else to show it for you. Yeah, and that's like yeah, that's really good analogy. Yeah. Totally. That's that's what it is. It's someone who's going to help you through the, like, you know, through the mess, go through the mess. Um, and actually, like, you know, making music with other people is, is, is therapy. You know, they're coming into a room that's safe where they can kind of let everything out and, you know, share things and process things and that was also a huge part of like collaborating with people that I loved was it was very healing for both me and the artist involved and we kind of you know you're helping someone find their voice or 
their sound or like tell their story and um yeah that was that was that was a really beautiful thing what would you say that your legacy that you want to have like what's your impact that you want to have on the planet oh it's a big one it's a big question i think i would just like to you know be involved with um you know great artists you know be part of producing great records um and continue to share and collaborate with people that i love and respect and um think that we have the same kind of ideas and the same values i think just to leave behind a kind of really tasteful disc- discography um full of like great very varied talent and you know uh kind of like a Mark Ronson type thing, you know, where he's always involved in really great things and occasionally puts out his own records. That's kind of the sort of trajectory that I'm yeah. going for. But yeah, I don't know. It's, it's almost like question. a DJ and like curation. It's like yeah. there's there's people on on your tunes that I'm then exposed to because I've heard them like you're you're sharing them with us like, yeah that's really cool well that's a really big part of it i really wanted it to be you know putting people on obviously people know who lily allen is but like not everyone knows who havelock is not everyone knows who ash nico is or even uh mira may or even sarah benito so you know i really wanted to showcase these people that i think are really really yeah. worth listening to and like that you know um i've shared things with and it was really about sharing and um and you know helping to make people feel less alone less isolated and um i mean yeah i, I wouldn't mind like having a sort of a&r position as well like having my own label having like starting my own kind of community yeah um yeah that feels like quite a logical next step for you actually yeah no it is being talked about um but it's also like, you know, because no one wants to sign to labels anymore. Mm. So it's kind of, I think it could work because if if I'm just like, oh, let me put your record out, you know, yeah. I'm not, I wouldn't be like a label label. Yeah, so, more like a family. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm sort of thinking about that now. That's, that's dope. Yeah. Um, what is the best piece of advice you've ever been given? What's yours? Oh... <laughs> Flip the script. Um, I I like that um, all advice is bullshit. Okay. Um, I really like that because then that's like, that's the advice, but it's also bullshit and just like mm. follow your own path kind of thing. Mm. Um, I like, I got told once um, uh, you're working, but you're not working like you're starving, oh, um, wow. which, yeah. ki- which kicked me up a gear yeah. and was like, you're right. I, although it was when we first started the company mm. and um, I thought I was putting everything into it, but then also realized that I had, I'd moved back with my mom. I had a roof over my head. I right. wasn't going to, I wasn't going to be out on the streets. Right. So, um, so I wasn't working like I was starving. I was working knowing that I had a safety net. Yeah. And as soon as I removed that was like, okay, clicked it into gear and just made me like really focus. Cause it's like, I knew that I was always going to have a meal on the table. So I was like, what would I do at work today mm. if I didn't know I was coming home to a, like, mumsy's mm. home-cooked meal? Is that I would behave differently. 
I'd yeah. be sending more emails. I'd be contacting more people. I'd be saying, here's some shit that I've done. Can I come and do some shit for you? Yeah. So that, that was helpful. Um, what about you? Good. Yeah, for me, I remember it was, again, kind of t- towards the start of our company and like going back home, like talking to my dad and I was like, it's so hard because I was like, we know we've got a great thing, but no one knows that we're out there. And he was like, you just got to remember like, you're amazing. You just need to make other people realise that. Totally. And that was, and then I've kind of got, since gone into like the world of marketing and getting your name out there and realising <clears> that that's as much part of the journey as actually creating is. Yeah, I think like if you if you do something that you love and you do it for the right reason and you, you know, you're not necessarily expecting anything to come from it, but it's just like you're passionate about it and you, you're hardworking, like it will eventually pay off, you know? And like, it's all about time, like timing. And I think time is like the biggest thing. And patience as well. Yeah. Because I, I I believe what you said there of it will happen. Yeah. And it's just it, on, a, on a long enough timeline of you consistently yeah. putting out work. I mean, it has to happen. Totally. I mean, I, I've been doing this since I was like 19, like 18. It's like, it's like 10 years, you know? And it's now starting to materialise. That's a yeah. long time. Most people don't have 10 years in them, I think. I think, And I think that's why most people fail is because they don't have the grit mm. to stick it out for that for that long haul. Yeah, well, put it this way, like everyone who was in my band that I broke up from, mm-hmm. none of them are in music. Yeah. None of them. Mm. So what does that tell you? Yeah, right? the one who kept going was the yeah. one that won. Yeah. Yeah. Slow and steady wins the race. Your mum was right. <laughs> yeah, she was. <laughs> That wraps it up perfectly. Wicked. All right, dude. Well, thank you so much for coming in. Um, thank you. Let people know where they can find you online. So you can find me, Oscar Scheller, on Instagram, O-S-C-A-R-S-C-H-E-L-L-E-R, on Spotify, um, on Twitter, Oscar underscore Scheller. Um, I think that's about it. And what's the name of the new album? new album is HTTP404, and it's on all streaming platforms. Go check so it what's out. The, why, why did you call it HTTP? Oh, uh, see, I know what that is. It's an error, right? So it's an error code error. of like yeah. page not found. Yeah. So I kind of felt like that page wasn't found. As in, this doesn't exist. As in, yeah, I just felt right. like nowhere. And I felt very lost in the code. And so I was like, well, and I think I, I typed it in one night and I was like, that's the name of the album. Like, definitely. That's dope. Well, no, it does exist. Yes, it does. Amazing. Thank you, dude. Thank you. Thanks for listening. We're trying to help a lot of people with this show, so we need your help to grow the community and spread our message. If you know someone who'd benefit from hearing what we talked about today, or they just need a little nudge in the right direction, pass this podcast on to them. If you want to hear more, then subscribe to us on iTunes. And if we helped you with anything, we'll really love you forever if you can leave us an iTunes review. It makes a huge difference. See ya.